Well, good morning. Wasn't that a great time of worship? Let's just give the Lord some praise for that, right? Wasn't that a great, man, what a great moment to declare some great truth, you know. We began a new series last week called Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust God, and we, we kind of started this series. I know you feel like, hey, we've been on this series of trust for a while, and we have been, but last week we kind of started this idea that, that for many of us, that we find ourselves oftentimes blindly trusting other people, right? And you, and you know that you're blindly trusting them when they say the magic words. What are the magic words? Just trust me, right? And I told you a story last week how David blindly trusted his brother, and that didn't go very well for him, right? But, you know, the flip side of that's true as well. Sometimes we use those magic words so that people might blindly trust us, right? In fact, last week we got done, we are getting ready to tear down, and, and Susanna Herb's outside walking, and we're talking about man fire, which was Friday night, which was awesome, by the way, and she said, you want to ride in the monster truck with Jim as he makes the jumps, and Jim's walking by, and I said, I don't know, and Jim says, Doug, just trust me, and I'm like, nope, I'm out, there's no way I'm riding that bad boy, I'm, I'm done. You know, I was thinking about that moments where we've all had them, where we use those magical words to get people to blindly trust us, right? Hey, just trust me. There's a moment I remember with my dad. My dad, um, my dad came to really faith later in life, and I had the, the privilege, one of the greatest moments in my life. I guess one of the greatest things is I was able to baptize all three of my kids, my mom and my dad. Not many guys can say that. And so, and so I'm really blessed by that, but my dad, baptizing my dad was one of the greatest moments. And, and the thing about my dad was my dad had terrible knees. I mean, like he was so stubborn, it wasn't until he was like 70 years old that he had knee replacement surgery because he was just that stubborn, but he had terrible knees. And so he said, Doug, now that I have really discovered my faith in Christ and I'm living, I think it's now time for me to take the step and to be baptized. I'm ready to do that, Doug. And I said, Dad, that's exciting. But immediately I begin to think, there's no way my dad, once he gets down the baptistry, and I take him back. Now remember, my dad was 6'3 and weighed 270 pounds. And so there's no way I can take my dad back into the water and lift him up with the bad knees that he has. I've got to come up with plan B. So I began thinking, what can I do? So the first thing I did was I was, began to search these steps that you can put in a baptistry that they can actually set on, like we have out in our baptistry. But those were hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I'm like, that won't work. So now what can I do? Well, I, I can't have him get on his knees because that's a problem in and of itself. So I came up with this great idea. I mean, it was, it was a brilliant idea. And it was this idea where, you know those, those chairs that you put in showers that people can sit on when they need to sit down? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the portable toilets. I'm talking about the portable shower seats, right? And so my, my grandma had one of those. It was in our basement, so I went and grabbed that. I thought, this would be perfect. My dad can sit down. We can baptize. It'll be great. So about two days before the baptism, we made sure the water was filled up in the baptistry. And I took this seat into the baptistry, and I thought, this is going to be great, but I need to, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that likes to sample things out. I want to make sure good illustrations don't go bad. And so I thought, I need to figure this out. And so I took this seat down into the water, and if you know anything about these seats, they're made of plastic. And so as I pushed it into the water and let it go, guess what it did? It came right back up. I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. So I had another brilliant idea. Anybody remember, I never did this, my brother did this. You remember those weights that you put around your ankles, that, like those little things you Velcroed, and you could run in those? You remember, anybody ever do those? Yeah, you can tell I didn't do that, right? But a lot of people did that. And so I thought, okay, I have two of those. I will put them around the legs of this chair, and it will hold it down. And so I got there, I went back the day before the baptism, and I put the weights around it, and I put it on the chair, and guess what? It held it down. I thought, this is going to be great. 
So my dad shows up for baptism. We always did the beginning of the service, 11 o'clock service. The place is packed. And my dad sent the baptistry. And I go, Dad, look, all you got to do is come down and sit on this. And I'll baptize you. And I told him what I was going to do. And everything's going to be great. Just trust me, Dad. And he said, all right, son, because my dad trusted me. So we get ready for baptism. My dad comes down. You know, my dad sits down. It's, it's, everything's beautiful at this point. I explain who my dad is, his story, and everybody's like weeping. It's awesome. It's a moment. I'm emotional. And if you notice, many times you don't because you clap, which is great. I always say buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what I always say. So I had my dad. And I said, I baptized him in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. And as I took my dad back, what I forgot to figure in was this possibility that the seat might scoop just a little bit, right? And so as my dad is going back, the seat scoots and the weights come off. And all of a sudden, at the periphery of my eye, I see this seat begin to slide out from my dad's bottom, and it's coming up. So you have a dilemma at that point, right? The dilemma is, we're just going to take him all the way down. Because he always kind of joked about how long I might hold him under the water. And so I'm like, I just want to take him all the way down, or I can salvage this moment. And by God's grace... I was able, and I don't think anybody even know. My mom saw it because she was sitting on and I had waders on. You know, those are really stiff. And I was able to take my foot up as my dad's back, and I slid that thing right back up underneath him as I pulled him up. It was a, it was a ninja move that I will never pull off again, I know. So we get done with the baptism, and everybody's applauding. It's great. We go back up, and my dad's changing, and my dad sits down. My dad had a kind of a John Wayne personality to him. And my dad sits down, and he just looks at me, and he smiles, and he says this. Trust you, huh? <laughs> so, because I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, Dad. I mean, he's like, you know, he, he knew what was going on, right? And I say all that to tell the song story, say that sometimes we just blindly trust people and sometimes we owe people just blindly trust us. But here's the problem with that we do that with others when others do it with us, but when it comes to God, we don't just blindly trust God. We want to know why we can trust God, right? What are the reasons why I can trust Him? So this series is all about the why. What is it about God that drives me to trust him? What is it about God that makes him trustworthy? And what is it about God that makes him totally dependable? Why can I trust God? And so last week we began the series and we said this, that the reason we can trust God, first of all, is because of who he is. We said he is holy he is compassionate, but most importantly, we said he's the great what? I am. When Moses was standing before God, and he, God told Moses, I want you to go and tell my people in Egypt that you're going to deliver them. Moses says, what name do I give them? Because that was important because every God had a name. And I need to give them a name, God, that they can resonate with, that they can say, yes, that's the God we want to follow. And so God gave them this name. I am who I am. And that name was a really big name because if you study the names of God in the Old Testament, all those names are beautiful pictures of pieces of his character and his attributes. But none of the names like Yahweh, Jehovah, Adonai, Elohim, none of those can completely encompass the magnitude of who he is. None of them do. So he wanted to give Israel a name that would encompass the totality of who he is. So he says, my name is I am. I am the God who transcends time and space. I am the God who is eternal. I am the God who is sovereign. I am the God who holds the whole world and the whole universe and everything you know. I am the God that holds it into place. I just am. 
And hopefully last week as you left here, we all understood that one of the reasons we can trust God is because he is the great I am. Amen? Amen. Now let me give you another reason today why we can trust God. And I'm going to use a theological word, then I'm going to explain it. One of the reasons that we can trust God today is because he is omniscient. Anybody know what that word omniscient means? It means he's what? He's all-knowing. He knows everything. One of the reasons we can trust God is because he's all-knowing. Let me look at a couple of verses before we get to our main text today that kind of point that out. First of all, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. It says this, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts because he knows what? He, oh, come on. He knows what? Everything. everything. What does that mean? That means there's nothing beyond the knowledge of God. He knows everything. First John. And then if you flip over with, or you can look at Proverbs 15, 3. It says this, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on good, on the evil and the good. He sees everything. God absolutely, 100% knows everything. That means he knows past, present, and future. That means there's nothing that escapes the knowledge of God. There's nothing beyond God that he does not know. He is all-knowing. Now, I know for many of us in the room, even for myself, when you think about that and you think of the ramifications of that, that's a little bit hard to get our, our minds in and in kind of a good grip on that. But I'm just going to tell you something. I want to worship that kind of God, though, right? I want to worship a God that I can't put in a box. I want to worship a God that I can't get my arms around. I want to worship a God that is so big and so sovereign that all I can do is worship, adore, and be in reverence to who he is and what he's about. Are you the same way? I hope you're the same way. So this idea is that he knows everything. Now, because he knows everything, the thing about it is because God knows everything, the reality is this, that that will either bring us comfort or that can present a challenge for us. And so that's the two things I want us to look at today. What is the comfort of God being all-knowing? And what is the challenge of God being all-knowing? So if you have your Bible, Psalms 139 is where I'm going to be this morning. Psalms 139. And if not, we'll have it on the screen. Hopefully, today it will continue to work. Psalms 139. The first thing I want us to look at is the comfort of God being all-knowing. Look with me in the first six verses. It says this. O Lord, this is David writing. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you what? Known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern, discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Now, here's what David is saying. One of the reasons that we can find comfort, the comfort of knowing that God is all-knowing, the comfort of God being all-knowing is this, is that he knows everything about us. He knows everything about us. He knows every head on our head. He knows, for some of us, that's not as many as others, but he knows everything about us. Now, when you think about that, that God knows everything about us, the first thing you think of is, okay, well, well Doug, that's a, that seems a very like an abstract statement that God knows everything. Well, what is, what is everything? Well, I love what David does here because David kind of pinpoints some big areas that God knows everything about you on. Look with me in verse two. He gives us four of them, but first of all, verse two, he says, you know when I sit down 
And when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Now think about this. God knows everything about you. He says here, you know me. Now, I said this last week, and I don't, want to, I don't want you to forget this, but that word know here is the Hebrew word yada, and it literally means an intimate knowing. In fact, he told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in the womb. Now, think about that one. Hey, I knew you before you were. Now, think about that. God knows us before we ever came to be. God knows us before we ever came on this planet. And that word yada does not mean a familiarity with. It doesn't mean just a knowledge of. It is an intimate knowing. In fact, it's the same intimate knowing that happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when it says, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother, and they shall unite, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that phrase, one flesh, literally translates the intermingling of souls. Meaning that when a married couple comes together and that marriage is consummated, it is physical, it is emotional, it is spiritual, it is mental. It is in every capacity to becoming one. He says, I know you like that. I know you more intimately than you will ever know. That's how much I know you. Now, what does he know about us? First of all, he says in verse 2, he knows exactly what we do, right? He knows what we do. Look at verse 2 again. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. He knows everything that we do. Every action, every word, every motive, every thought, he knows it. Now, just think about that for a moment. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Okay, Doug, at some point, are you going to tell me how this is a comfort, right? At some point, are you going to tell me how God knowing all this about me should be comforting to me instead of make me feel this great sense of guilt and want to run? Yes, I'll get that in a minute. But one reason it's comforting is that God knows everything, and he knows everything we do, every action, every thought, every motive. In fact, he says, you know when I sit down, and you know when I rise up. This phrase in the Hebrew is a bookend phrase. It means the totality of a day. No matter where I go and what I do, no matter what I do in life, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, you always know what I'm doing. Nothing escapes you. You always know. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. It'll be on the screen. Proverbs 15, verse 3. Let's throw it up there if you could, Thomas. It says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. He sees and knows what? Everything. Everything. God knows everything pertaining to us. He knows everything we do. So when we say that God knows everything, we're saying he knows exactly what we do. Second of all, look at verse three. He says, you search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all of my ways. He not only knows what we do, he knows where we go. He doesn't just know our actions, our thoughts. He, he also knows where we go. Not just what we do, but where we go. Now, he says here, you know basically my every step. So when we choose to walk a path of righteousness, God knows that. When we take steps of obedience to him, God knows that. When we take steps in rebellion to him, God knows that. When we take steps away from him, God knows that. Every, it's like the old song, every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you, right? You remember that song? Yeah, if you're over 40, you got that one, right? You remember that, right? That's how God is. He knows everywhere we go. Not just what we do, 
where we go. And he says this, I love it. He says, you are acquainted with all of my ways. That word acquainted, once again, does not mean a, 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 just a knowledge of. It means an intimate knowledge of. You're acquainted with all my ways. You have an intimate knowledge of everything and everywhere I go. That means God knows how we live. Everything about how we live. God knows how we treat other people. Back up. God knows what we think about other people. God knows that. Anybody ever heard this expression? Maybe it's just a, a Missouri expression, and it's this expression, God love them. You ever heard that one? Can I translate that for you? That means they're dumb and they're stump, but I'm going to spiritualize it. So God love them, right? That's really what it means. See, God knows that, right? God knows what we mean when we say that. God knows, God knows what we're thinking. He knows what we do. He knows where we go. He knows how we live. He knows how we treat other people. He knows, listen to this, he knows our, even our tendencies. For example, when a storm comes in your life, he knows if your tendency is to doubt him or to trust him. He knows that when life gets tough, are they going to doubt me? They're going to trust He already knows that. When life goes good and we experience successes, he knows whether you're going to take the glory for yourself or you're going to give the glory to him. He knows all that. So he knows everything we do. He knows everywhere we go. And thirdly, look at verse 4. He says this. Even before a word, I love this. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He even knows what we say, right? What we say. Now back it up. Not only what we say, but before we say it, right? He knows it. Somebody said, oh boy, right? Right. He knows it before it rolls off the tongue. So not only does he know everything we say in real time, he knows it before we say it. So when you think it and it's conjuring and beginning to move from your brain down to your tongue, he knows it before it ever comes out. But let me make it a little bit worse for you than that. If you were to study this in the original language, it doesn't just mean he knows what we say. It means he also knows the intent of everything we say. That should be the old boy, right? Now he knows the intent. For example, have you ever been in kind of a conversation with somebody and it may be a disagreement and, and you concluded that conversation with this word? You ready? Here it is. Fine. Anybody done that? Okay, there's a lot of ambiguity in one word, isn't there? Because you could end a conversation and you could say, it's fine. Okay, well, it's fine. Let's move on. Or you could end the conversation with going, fine. Now, did I mean the same thing the way I said that? Same word. See, God knows the intent of my heart. Here's a better one. Have you ever said something to somebody and then you concluded with this? I didn't mean to say it. Anybody? Anybody? There's only a few truthful people there this morning, right? We've all done it, haven't we? We've said something and go, I didn't mean to say it. Well, let me just tell you this. God knows whether you meant to say it, but you wish you hadn't have said it, or whether you really didn't mean it at all. God knows all of it. He not only knows what rolls off our tongue, he knows the motives behind what rolls off our tongue. He knows everything about us, what we do, where we go, what we say. He knows it all. This would be an oh boy moment, right? But let me give you one more. Verse 5 says this, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. He also says, if God knows everything, yes, he knows what we do. Yes, he knows everywhere we go. Yes, he knows what we say. But listen to this. He also knows what we need. And that's good news. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? That's good news. He knows what we need. He says, you hem me in behind 
and before. In other words, we are surrounded by God. We're surrounded by him. Listen, he knows our needs before we know them. He knows exactly what you're going to need a year from now that you have no idea what you're going to need. He knows you that well. He knows everything you need long before you need it. So yes, he knows what we do, where we go, what we say, but he also knows every need that we have. So here's David's conclusion of this, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here's what David's saying. You know me better than I know myself. Right? You believe that? That God knows you better than you know yourself. He's like, listen, this knowledge is too much for me, God. What you know blows my mind. It's so much, I can't even take it. God, you know me better than myself. You know what I do. You know what I say. You know my tendencies. You know my needs. God, you know everything about me before I know. God, you know me better than I know myself. Now, here's the question. If that is true, would that not be a framework for which we would say, God, I trust you? If God knows us that intimately and God knows us that completely, would that not be grounds for us to declare, God, I trust you? Would it be? It should be. Now, listen, the fact that God is all-knowing should be a comfort to us. And let me tell you why. Because for some of you, what it stirred up a moment ago was guilt. For some of you, it stirred up when you thought about God knowing every action, stirred up some guilt. I remember being a youth pastor and you know, when you, when you have those, those sermons where you're talking to teenagers, especially high school teenagers, you know, and, and back in the day, we all have different cliches that are different church things we say, but I can always remember telling kids, and it was true, was this, that when you go out with your day, just remember the Lord is with you. And everything you do, everything you say, he's with you. Now, the goal as a youth pastor was to curtail some of the activity that they might be tempted to participate in, right? But the truth was still there. God knows everything. There's no escaping his knowledge. And it should be a comfort to us. Listen, yes, he knows all that we do, everywhere we go, what we say, what we need. But listen, he knows all of that. And here's why it's comforting. He still loves us. Right? He still cares about us. Let me just ask you this question. If, or let me just say this. If you knew that much about me, if you knew everything I'd ever said, everything that I'd ever done, everywhere I'd ever gone, everything that I ever meant, everything that I had a need for, if you knew everything about me, some of you in this room would probably not have the love for me you do right now. Because we are conditional humans, right? We love you if, we love you when, we love you but. But God knows everything. Our past failures, our present failures, our future failures, our past successes, our future. He knows everything. And he still calls you his beloved. And he still loves you. And you are still the adopted child of the most high God. That's why God being all-knowing should be a comfort to all of us. Because he knows everything. Let me give you a second reason it should be a comfort. And it's this. is that because he is mindful of us. Look at me in verse 17 and 18. Not only because he knows everything about us, but secondly, because he's mindful of us. Now, here's the difference. One is just a, he knows it all. The other one is a picture of how he cares about us. As he's mindful of us. Look at verse 17. It says this. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. 
Now, notice what David said about the thoughts of God. First of all, he said, your thoughts are what? They're precious. You know what that means? The fact that you're thinking about me, it's a treasure. Now, think about it this way. Creator God, sovereign Lord, the one who spoke and called the world into existence, the one who holds everything together, that God who reigns supremely, the great I am, is mindful of little O, insignificant us. We are nothing more than a piece of sand on the seashore, but yet an eternal God knows us, loves us, and is mindful of us. He doesn't just know everything we do, where we go, what we say, and what we need. He is also mindful, which means he cares about us. And I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, there's sometimes I'm thinking, you know what? I don't deserve for God to care about me. You ever feel that way? But he does. See, David said, the fact that you're thinking about me, God, it's a treasure. I can't comprehend the beauty of the fact that you are thinking of me. But he didn't just say it's precious. He says how vast. In other words, it is numerous. That his thoughts are numerous. He said, well, how numerous? The sand. That's how numerous. Well, which sand, Doug? The sand. Well, how much sand is that? All the sand, right? See, the in the Hebrew and the Greek is a sign of the definite article, which means like if we say, if we talk about, hey, you're going to take the car, well, we just mean you're going to take the car. In the original language, it means there's only one car. And so he says, when your thoughts are as numerous as the sand, what sand is he talking about? All the sand. Meaning that there's not a moment in, the, in any second of our lives that God is not mindful of us. Now think about that. There is not a second that passes that we are not on the mind of an almighty God. Is that good news? It should be good news. And you say, well, Doug, well, how does God think of me? Well, think of it this way. He thinks of you based on his nature. He is heavenly father, so he thinks of you as a loving father. He's also creator, so he thinks of you as his creation. He's also our deliverer, so he thinks of you as someone that he has rescued. Well, Doug, what does he think about me? Well, because he thinks of who he is, because he's father, creator, and deliverer, here's what he thinks. He thinks thoughts about forgiveness. He thinks thoughts about renewal. He thinks thoughts about how much he loves and how much he cares for us. There's never a moment that our God is not thinking of us. Do you remember, now some of you are going to love this, do you remember the old Willie Nelson song? You were always what? On my mind. I'm not going to say it, neither are you, but you were always on my mind. Remember that? What a beautiful picture of how much God is mindful of us. Never a moment that we escape his thought. So his thoughts are precious, they're numerous, and last of all, he says, his thoughts are constant, meaning they are always with me. He says this at the very end of verse 18. If I could count them, all, they'd be more than a sin. I awake and I'm still with you. In other words, they are always with me. There's never a minute that your thoughts are not present in my life. Now, please hear me, church. The fact that God is all-knowing should be a comfort to us because he knows everything about us and still loves us, cares for us, has not written us off, has not discarded us, but still has a purpose, a plan, and a future for us. Amen? But another reason it should be comfort to us is because he's mindful of us. Every second, every minute of every day, a sovereign creator God is mindful of everybody on this planet all day, every day, all the time. 
without exception. So let's look how David responds to this truth. Very last thing, verse 24. He says this, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous or sinful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, God, because you know everything, would you expose the sinfulness of my own heart? God, because you know everything, would you point me to the path that leads to godliness? In other words, God, because you know everything, I trust you. Let's say that together. I trust you. You, now more than the front row, here we go. I trust you. He's like, God, because you know everything, I trust you. I trust you to expose my sin. I trust you to put me on the right path. What David was saying is because God knows everything, the level of his trust grew deeper and deeper and deeper. And what I want us to know more than anything this morning is this. The fact that God is all-knowing should be a comfort to us. Yes, he knows everything, but he's also mindful of us. And last of all, let me cover quickly the challenge of God being all-knowing. Go back to verse 5, if you would. It says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. In other words, he says, the problem is, the challenge is, there's nowhere to hide from you. Right? Right? There's nowhere to hide from you. There's nowhere I can run from you. There is nothing I can do that will escape the knowledge of God. Now, here's the truth for most of us in the room. We sometimes think that we can hide from God. Now, you may say, no, Doug, I would never think that. Well, isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Didn't they try that? They sinned. Sin came into the world. They went and hid themselves as if God, and then, and then God kind of had some fun with them, goes, where are you? As if God didn't already know. He just wanted them to acknowledge what they were doing. So hiding didn't work out. And then somebody said, well, I would never run from God. Well, Jonah did. Jonah just didn't run. He ran the opposite direction from God. And some of you here today may be saying, if I can run hard enough and long enough, maybe God will just leave me alone. You think that maybe there's a way I can escape the knowledge of God. And here's what I would say this morning. You and I, we can't. He is everywhere. He sees all things. He knows all things. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to run. There's no way to escape the knowledge of God. And for some of us, the fact that God is all-knowing is more of a challenge than it is a comfort. So as we get ready to close this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. Which one is it for you? The fact that God knows everything, and we just talked about what that was, is that a comfort for you? Or is that a challenge for you? See, if it's a challenge for you, if you sit there and you're honest, just be honest, we're not asking you to raise your hand, be honest, if it's a challenge for you, it's probably an indication, it's probably an indication that maybe you have to feel like you've got something to hide. Maybe there's a secret sin in your life that you think, well, maybe if my spouse doesn't know, my workers don't know, my kids don't know, my friends don't know, that somehow maybe God doesn't know. And so if it's more of a challenge for you that God is all-knowing, possibly that's an indication that you think you've got something to hide. Or maybe it's an indication, possibly, that you think that you can run from God, that you can outrun him and get away from him. Or possibly it's an indication that you have a small view of a magnificent holy God, and you've got him in a box. Or possibly, if it's a challenge for you, it's an indication that you today are struggling trusting him. 
But for those of you in the room that find that the fact that God is all-knowing, not as a challenge, but more as a comfort, and you find it that way, we understand that finding that God is knowing is actually liberating, right? The fact that God knows everything should be liberating for us, right? Are you with me on that? It should be liberating. See, if it's liberating to us, then there's no need to hide. Guess why? Because God already knows. There's no need to run because we know we cannot run God. There's no need to stress because we already know he knows our needs. And there's no re- need to rely on ourselves. Why? Because he is worthy to be trusted. See, if we find the fact that God is all-knowing as a comfort, it's liberating. But if we find it as a challenge, it'll keep us in bondage. And so I guess the question I want you to think about as I close today is this. Will you trust God? Why can we trust him? Yes, he's the great I am. But we can also trust him because he also knows everything. He's all-knowing. And the question is, will we trust him? Because he knows our needs, knows our hurts, knows our concerns, knows our burdens, knows our struggles, knows everything about us. Will we trust him? And some of us in the room tonight, this morning, just to be honest, we need to first of all trust him with our life. Maybe there's somebody here today and you've never, you've never given your life to Christ. You, you know about Jesus, but you've never surrendered your life to him. Listen, if you really want to start trusting him, it starts with surrendering your life to him. And it's as simple as just saying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and ask you to forgive me of my sin and be the Lord and the boss of my life. And if you will pray that, he will come into your life and he will change you. And if that's your story, I pray you'd make that decision today. But there's a lot of us in the room, we have some concerns, don't we? We've got hurts, we've got some burdens, and we've got some struggles, and we've got some needs. And the question is, will we trust him? Don't let why be the obstacle for you anymore. Don't let pride be the obstacle for us anymore. We have to make a decision today with our needs, with our hurts, with our struggles, with everything, our burdens, our concerns, will we trust him? Or we try to keep carrying those things all alone again? If you don't trust him, man, you're going to live a burdened life. But if you do, you'll find liberty. He'll liberate you because he'll take all that on if we just trust him. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you right now to stand with me if you would. Everybody stand. And I'm going to ask just for a moment for every head to be bowed. And for every eye to be closed, just for a moment, everyone stand, every head bowed, and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask you, just don't leave looking around if you don't mind. If you're here today and you just say, you know what, Doug, I'm that guy or that gal or that teenager, that dad, that mom, that grandpa, grandma, child. And I really feel like today I need to trust him with my life. I need to say yes to Jesus for the first time in my life and ask him to come in to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and right back down? No one's looking around. Just put it up and right back down. Just put it right back down. Amen. Up and right back down. I'm just going to pray for you. And if you're here this morning and nobody's looking and you know you're a follower of Jesus, but you've got some burdens and you've got some hurts and you've got some needs and you've got some concerns, And today, you know, as sure as you're standing there, that you need to trust God with those things. Would you just put your hand up and right back down? I'm going to pray for us. 
In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I'm done, if you need to come to this altar and pray, you do that. But more than anything this morning, my prayer is this, that we would truly trust him. Father God, we love you. And I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the worship we had. We declared who you are as our way maker, our promise keeper, light in the darkness. But God, I thank you that we were able to see today that one of the reasons we can trust you is because you know everything. Nothing is hid from the eyes of God. And God, I pray that that would be a comfort to us, that you know everything about us and you still love us. You still care for us. You still have plans for us. You still call us your beloved. And I thank you, Lord, that in your knowledge, you're also mindful of us. And so, God, I pray that today, this truth of you being all-knowing would not be a challenge, but we could find comfort. And for those who've never trusted you, Lord, would they trust you with their lives? Would they say yes to Jesus today? And for those who have hurts and burdens and struggles who are believers, would they decide today that they're going to quit carrying the burden alone? And today, they're going to trust you. Today, they're going to hand it off to you. Because we know that when you're in control, you work all things together for your good. So God, may we be faithful to respond to that. May we be faithful to turn things over to you today. Would your Holy Spirit have his way in our lives in this moment? For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Listen, if you need to come pray, the altar's open. If you need to sit where you're at. But there's so many of us. I hear the stories over and over again of hurts and burdens and griefs and concerns and needs. And listen, the only answer is to trust him with those. There is no earthly answer that's going to suffice. The only thing that is sufficient is when we know that Creator God, Almighty God, has got in His hands, and we are trusting Him. So today, would we all be faithful to trust Him? And may we be faithful to respond as the Lord would lead us. So if you need to come, this altar is open.